and welcome to the inaugural Connected Energy Solutions podcast series episode. I'm your host, Michael Nelson, and joining me this time is Gil Shavit, President and CBDO at Gencell. Wonderful to have you here, Gil. Thank you very much for hosting me. Now, today we'll be talking about the UK's hydrogen strategy and hydrogen in general. But first, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and about Gencell. Oh, thank you for that. Uh, so, as uh, I said, my name is Gil, and I'm uh, one of the uh, founders of Gemcell Energy Company, a company that is uh, originated in Tel Aviv, uh, acting uh, in Israel and also in other places in the world. The company um, is 10 years old and uh, based on knowledge and know-how of scientists that worked for uh, missions in uh, space where mostly you can find fuel cells running there and in submarines. Uh, uh, fuel cells, as we uh, discovered to know, is a very efficient and clean energy maker or power machine that takes hydrogen and oxygen to bring water. And uh, while doing that, emitting a lot of uh, electricity and some heat. We are using it now for stationary applications for backup or for later on. We'll talk about our next uh, product, which works on ammonia for prime source. So the company has now uh, about 120 employees. Still more than half are scientists and developers, uh, electrochemists, uh, physicists, uh, uh, electronic and electric engineers, software coders. It's all how to make a holistic solution which uh, runs with uh, an old technology. You know, uh, fuel cells were discovered back to 1839 by uh, Sir William Grove. Uh, he was a lawyer and uh, his hobby was chemistry. So he decided to try to reverse electrolysis, to break water into hydrogen, oxygen, then to put it back. And, and it, it tried and it worked took the hydrogen oxygen that he took from water and it became back water and some uh, electrons emitted. And how does Gencell use this fuel cell technology? We've taken that into high-end uh, machines that are really given two main, two main benefits. Very clean energy if you keep the cycle of the whole process that the hydrogen comes from uh, a green resource and then transported in a green way and then being converted into power, then you have a, a CO2-free process, which we are very proud to support with our fuel cells. Excellent. That's great. Thank you very much. Uh, let's move on to talk a little bit about the UK's hydrogen strategy. Obviously, it's great that we're finally seeing tangible commitments from government to increase hydrogen production. Before we talk about their two-track approach with green hydrogen on one side and blue hydrogen on the other, perhaps we should run through the different colours of hydrogen and what they mean for those that might not be familiar. Okay, so uh, green hydrogen is a declaration that all the processes that brought this hydrogen to the world were clean. Uh, the most uh, common way is to electrolyze water through electricity that is being uh, generated by renewable resources, could be wind turbines or uh, solar panels, PVs, photovoltaic panels. 
So you could see more and more, and I know that in Scotland, they have uh, a lot of activity with offshore wind turbines attached to uh, huge uh, water electrolyzers. Then those water, uh, this water are being separated by the electrolyzing process into hydrogen oxygen. Usually the oxygen is released to the ambient air and the hydrogen is being stored. And then I know that they run buses there. They can uh, use fuel cells and also heaters. Use the hydrogen. When you burn hydrogen, you get only water. When you take hydrogen into a fuel cell, you get only water as a side effect. So you keep the process. So this is green. This is green hydrogen that came from nature. The blue hydrogen is a sign for trying to get uh, the cleanest, in the cleanest way, hydrogen from CH4 methane. It's a natural gas, which uh, by uh, steam methane reforming, SMR process, you get a lot of CO2 as an output. So you get pure hydrogen. And to be with integrity, you must confess and say, okay, just for you to know that the process emits a lot of CO2, where the green hydrogen does not. So the blue hydrogen gets its color only when the SMR process is being followed by carbon capture. That's it. You take the CO2 emission and try to prevent it from getting into the ambient, uh, ambient air and try to collect, to industrialize, sell it, or bury it. Everything that is uh, provi providing uh, a clean air out of it, so you are not uh, emitting CO2 to the ambient air. This is blue. And just to add a little extra as well, I believe grey hydrogen is also a thing where hydrogen is produced using natural gas, but without the carbon capture filters or anything like that. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Uh, grey hydrogen is just uh, using the regular way of uh, SMR, steam methane reforming. That's uh, you heat up the, uh, the steam and the CH4 methane into more than 900 centigrade. Usually it's 950. And then there is a dual cycle. One cycle, you get uh, hydrogen, CO2, and monoxide carbon, let's say CO, which is dangerous. You keep that in the system. You don't let it go on. And then you put additional water, additional steam, that will take their uh, COs and also convert them into CO2 and get some more portions of H2. By the end of this process, you have H2, the hydrogen molecule, but a lot of CO2. Yeah, and so while blue hydrogen is better than grey hydrogen because most of the emissions are captured, it's still worse for the environment when compared to green hydrogen. I read a recent report from scientists at the Cornell and Stanford universities, for example, that suggests that the full life cycle of greenhouse gas emissions from burning blue hydrogen for heating could actually be more than 20% greater than using conventional natural gas. So given that, why do you think the UK government, or any government for that matter, would continue to advocate for blue hydrogen? To be a little conspiratorial here, is it just a case of the legacy energy companies having a strong lobbying capacity? You know, the companies which supply the gas used to create blue hydrogen? Or are there other factors? I think we have to be very honest and sensitive that... Uh making those changes of huge, huge amount of budgets and, and uh, 
people that are working in that industry. It's a lot of, uh, you know, you can do a change here and you can damage there. So I think, sincerely, we should give it a chance. I know that it's, uh, it's hard to get a clean process of blue hydrogen as you get from green hydrogen. But with a lot of attention and real efforts to try and find those uh, methodologies that will take the CO2 out efficiently and, and by almost 100%. I'm not a scientist on that, but from our uh, studying, when we do deep learning on that, uh, if you put that attention, you'll get, you'll get results. And then you can have a win-win situation that uh, economies still, that are, lots of economies are based on, on fossil fuels. You cannot take 200 years of, of technology and just ruin it in one day. And it won't work. You have to be realistic. But you can optimize the process by engineering and science to do the best effort to eliminate the damage that it might cause. I realize my question was purposefully loaded, but I agree it's going to take a little while and more financial and regulatory incentive to get green hydrogen production up to the point where it is the dominant supply, because that's surely the aim at some point, isn't it? Yes, and also just uh, remember that the amount of fuel that large plants, electric plants, and also industry, you cannot now shut down industry. You cannot shut down electricity from, from the uh, universe, you know. So it will be a kind of a transition period that uh, trying to, to do the best of cleaning the processes to get as much as clean energy out of the fossil, which one of them is doing it careful blue hydrogen. There is also another color that will go uh, through uh, pyrolysis that you can uh, take directly uh, solid carbon out of it. So if this is something that just started. I, I really believe that that could be also an option that you get carbon, then carbon industry can do, uh, you know, carbon fibers, a lot of that will uh, will will serve instead of plastics. So, you know, with creativity, you can get very, very far. I think the only thing is that the, the role of governments is to direct by regulation, to direct the science and the engineering to go, okay, you want to still use that fuel? Okay, do your best efforts to take uh, out the uh, bad things and make good things. And I think uh, probably you're on the right way. Both will exist. It will be coexistence for, for several years, more than a decade, I think. Speaking of innovation, am I right in thinking that you've recently partnered up with TDK to create a supply of green ammonia? The ammonia here is a mediator. You, you use the green ammonia as a, a platform to hold hydrogen in, in other material which is liquid because in a liquid you can store much more amount of molecules. The NH3 is the molecule of ammonia. It's uh, three atoms of hydrogen, one atom of hydrogen. And uh, if you have a way, and we do have a way how to crack it very easily and efficiently, then uh, you don't lose so much by the conversion and then the, uh, the cracking, but you, you get a lot 
that you don't have to carry it as a diluted gas that you have to compress or as cooling so low into this uh, low temperature of less than 253. Now, I've written about GenCell before, actually, at the start of my journey into the world of renewable energy, and I find it absolutely fascinating how you managed to create green hydrogen from ammonia. What would you say are the main benefits of using ammonia to create hydrogen? The benefit is that ammonia gets uh, liquid at uh, minus 33 centigrade degrees. If you just compare it to minus 253, if you want to get hydrogen into a liquid mode, then the difference is it's even non-linear. To get to minus 253 is very difficult. And also to store it and to keep it at that temperature. With a very low pressure, relatively, at ambient um, uh, temperature of 20-25 degrees, maybe less than 10 bars, the ammonia becomes liquid and you store it as a liquid and the density is very high. You can get out of one ton, one metric ton of ammonia, can get uh, 176 kilograms of hydrogen bruto and then we need some hydrogen to do the cracking so we can leave 142 hydrogen uh, kilograms of atomic weight of hydrogen for usage. If you convert it into the caloric way of hydrogen, it's about uh, more than 30 kilowatt hour per, per uh, kilogram of hydrogen. And then after going, going to fuel cell that you get 50% out of it. So mostly you can get 15 kilowatt hour out of a single kilogram of, of hydrogen. Just imagine that in one metric ton, you can have available of uh, a little more than 140 kilograms. By the end of the day, to make the calculation easy, more than two megawatt hour of storage to use. That's a pretty impressive figure. Yeah, and this this makes the whole process, uh, I think, if, if you look by the dollar way, the cent way, or the sterling way, you'll see that doing that, going to ammonia, going back to hydrogen still, is less expensive, much less expensive than trying to go cryogenic or liquid uh, hydrogen. And I imagine transportation is another key factor? Hydrogen cost mostly uh, is affected by storage and transportation. And no matter if this hydrogen becomes from green resources or from uh, natural gas, fossil fuel. To get hydrogen into its liquid way, which is more efficient to, to transport and store, you have to go minus 253 centigrade degrees. This is, this is an investment. This, this is very costly. And to try to, you know, to compress it like we do today uh, to 350 bars or say 100 bars for transportation, it really needs an effort. The compressing uh, way is not so easy, it needs energy, so everything is money by the end of the day. It raised the cost. We have found a very, I think, efficient and low-cost methodology by converting green hydrogen into a green ammonia locally. We are talking about on a process that we have just started, and we do it along with a Japanese company called TDK. And... Um, we are collaborating with them uh, based on our technology, how to 
uh, take the green hydrogen and uh, to convert it into a liquid ammonia in small quantities, relatively small quantities. That says in one cubic meter more or less of liquid ammonia, you can then retrieve with our ammonia cracker the, uh, the decomposition of the ammonia back to hydrogen uh, more than two megawatt hour. This is a lot. Your house uh, is taking about, uh, let's say, average of uh, half a kilowatt at any given moment. That's about 10, 12 kilowatt hour per day. Calculate that two megawatt hour will take you to a few weeks. And th this is a lot in terms of being very relaxed that your energy is there for heating and for electricity. So the combination of being able to take renewable power and to immediately convert it into hydrogen that goes into a liquid way, not being hydrogen for a second, we, we make kind of an intermediate process liquefied by taking another material, taking it into ammonia, and then crack it back into hydrogen with a special uh, machinery that we have developed. It's uh, the cracker and the uh, fuel cell are cascaded and then uh, the output is, again, electricity, some heat, and mm -hmm. water. So how do you expect these innovations to transform the way that we consume energy in our businesses and homes? Um, we know that the availability of uh, methane is, is enormous, and it's there. Most of modern world runs, uh, at least for utilities, um, electric power utilities power plants. Um, so probably it won't be so easy to take the entire nation and convert it into green hydrogen because the process is is a bit small in terms of you need the huge turbines and there are losses. You don't get 100% of what you, uh, you put. It's uh, at least 50%. But we believe that the future will change another method of using electricity by going DER. Uh, it will be diverse, diverse uh, energy resourcing. That says that it won't be like today you get a huge power plant of few gigawatts fed by coal or uh, natural gas or later on with hydrogen. We hope so, but it will be very difficult. But if you split it into microplants, nanoplants, which will be on the single megawatts or even on 100Ks of, of, of uh, watts, then the ability to collect from the neighborhood, the wind or, or, or the uh, sun, and to electrolyze water, making, as I said, uh, green hydrogen, then storing it in an efficient way, then you can get two things. First, you get your energy at home. You are not so much dependent on the wiring of the grid that sometimes, you know, get uh, hurt by uh, uh, all kind of uh, weather storms, you know, and uh, floods. And people find this immediately when you have a flood, you know how many, now you can't, how many people are now out of grid and they're in the dark. When you have diverse system that everything is located in a very, very close proximity to your uh, house, to your home, 
then you have two things. An easier way to collect the uh, energy that is re ready to use next to your house. And you have higher resiliency. You have a higher resiliency by having uh, the ability to spread and to have also kind of a social network that everybody is, is connected through the low voltage grid. So if your machine doesn't work for some reason, you'll get it from the neighbors or vice versa. And the last question for today. What's your hope for green hydrogen moving forward? Where do you see it evolving in the future? Trying uh, to be realistic. Uh, we think that it will be done very uh, gradually. We had decided to start with long duration backup systems using hydrogen. Next step is longer duration backup that will also go into large uh, and long duration of uh, outage of grids. So that will be a kind of a transition from long duration backup as a prime source using ammonia. Because with small units of uh, household, let's say five kilowatts, with uh, one ton of ammonia, you, know, you can run uh, more than a month. And we also decided to go also on the CHP process, which is a combined heat and power. So in, uh, uh, in Europe and, and mostly also in England, the, the energy goes mostly for heating and cooling. And uh, if you take direct heating from hydrogen, it's more efficient than converted into electricity and then from electricity to um, convectors, electric convectors. So just go, so we split some of the hydrogen we direct into the fuel cell to get electricity, but some of the hydrogen, maybe most of it could go into heaters, which both are clean, uh, but you get more juice out of it in terms of uh, energy. And I think that's all we have time for for this podcast. Thank you for being such a fantastic guest on our opening podcast episode, Gil. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. And I hope you, the listener, enjoyed our discussion as well. I've been Michael Nelson. Until next time, take care. <laughs>